The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7091000. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We are going to read verses 28 all the way to the bottom end of the chapter. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 down to 39. All right, let's read together. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are no more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I hope that you are thankful for them. Uh, they've been a blessing to me personally. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Romans chapter 8 and also Deuteronomy chapter 8. You want to grab Deuteronomy chapter 8 with a piece of paper and just put a piece of paper there. We'll be there in a few minutes. Uh, but we will start in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. There are some people in this world who call themselves preachers, and they would have you to believe that if you are a good Christian, God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. I want to dispel that mindset from the very beginning of this sermon. That is a lie from Satan that will make you think that God is not ultimately good. I'll repeat that. There are some people who call themselves preachers that will tell you that if you are a good Christian, then God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That is a lie from Satan that will ultimately undermine your confidence in God as being good. Let me show you how that works. You say, Pastor, that doesn't really make sense to me because I've always heard that God will do good things for good people. Let me help you with this. So perhaps you go to church and you read your Bible and you invite your friends and you give in the tithes and offerings and you don't have sex before marriage and you don't steal from work and you don't do bad things. And then your mom gets cancer or your brother dies or you get held up by knife point on the bus, and you think to yourself, 
hang on, I did everything right. God let me down on His end of the bargain. See what I mean? There are some who would say, if you do everything right, God will bless you. So either God lied, or someone lied to you about God. I submit to you, God cannot lie. It is against His character. I hope that as a result of our time together in Romans 8, 28-39, I hope that you will see God doing things that you might not have ever seen Him doing in this light before. Perhaps you will see that God does use all things for good, even the hard things. God, by the way, does not, some people would say it like this, God works all things together for our good as if God takes those bad things and then somehow He takes those bad things uses them like ingredients to make a good thing come up. That's not how He works. Not how He works. God orchestrates the things in your life for your good. Here's what I mean by this. He does not do this. He takes bad things and then turns them around to be good. He doesn't. That's not what I mean. Here's, here's an example. It's as if you were walking along and you didn't see and there was a cliff there and you fell off the cliff. And then somehow God got surprised by this. Oh, a bad thing happened to you. Now I have to come up with a way to make that good. Maybe God scratches his head. How will I make this a good thing? He just broke his back. How will I make this Maybe he just puts a hundred kina note beside That's not how God works. God knows about you falling off the cliff or falling off the roof of your house long before it ever happened. Now listen, God is not the author of sin. However, He does use bad things to help us. I want you to grasp that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. God takes bad things and uses them to help us. I'm going to show you. We'll see the word all things in just a moment in verse 28. But I want you to see, where does the, what is the word all things? What does that refer to? In my Bible, I have it underlined in red. In Romans chapter 8, I've got them underlined. I slide back in my Bible, back up to verse number 18. This was our theme verse for last week. For I reckon that the sufferings, that's what I've got underlined in red, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. One of those things, sufferings of this present time. Verse 22, pain. That's what I've got underlined. Pain. God uses pain in our lives. Look down at verse 23. We ourselves groan. You know what the word groan is? I don't even know what to say right now. He uses that. Then look at verse 26. The Spirit helps our infirmities. That's the word for sickness. God uses these things. Look at verse 8, 28 now. We know that all things... He has not listed one good thing at all. He has not said anything about your bank account or your car or your house or how everything will just work out well for you in the end. Not what he has mentioned. He's mentioned God uses all things. Terrible, all things that are a result of sin being in the world. And he uses them, verse 28, promise. And we know, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And can I point out some more statements about all things? Look down to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? We're going to keep this thought going all the way to the end of the chapter. These things. Then in verse 32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Let me just give you a glimpse to what's coming in verse 32. If God put Jesus on the cross, that's a bad thing. How will He not also give us bad things? Guys, I know this is not popular preaching. But it will help you when you fall off the roof of your house or your mom has cancer or your brother dies. It will help you. 
Look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And we'll talk about what that means in just a few minutes. But what is it that all these things is talking about? I might ask some questions like this. Why do Christians lose their jobs when they never did anything wrong? Some prosperity preacher would tell you, if you're a good Christian, everything will work out right for you. You lost your job. Now what? Going to quit? Going to blame it on God? God, you didn't keep up your end of the bargain. Why does COVID-19 wreck the global economy? Why do believers get sick? Why do teachers at some schools not come to class? Why do so many of our young ladies end up being sexually abused? Why? Submit to you this morning that ultimately God works all things for our good. I hope that by the time we finish with our time together in the Word of God in Romans chapter 8 today, I hope that you will see that ultimately God is at work in all things for your good. God is at work in all things for your good. So come over to Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me. You can drop your piece of paper back in there at Romans 8. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll read verses 15 and 16 in just a moment. I'll give you the background before we read verse 15. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. He is about to die. This is the end of his life. And he's about to pass things on to Joshua. It has been 40 years and 11 months since they came out of Egypt. Miraculous things happened. Oh, miraculous things happened when they came out of Egypt. You remember, it was mentioned in the video this morning. The great river Nile turned to blood. Just think about that. If the brown river turned to blood, we'd all be talking about it for the rest of our lives. The river Nile turned to blood, and then God turned it back to water again. Shocking. Frogs, flies, darkness, the death angel. The death angel passed through Egypt and killed the firstborn in every house unless they had put blood on the doorpost, at which point the death angel passed over that house. Unbelievable. Then the people of Israel parted, went through the Red Sea. The Red Sea had been parted. The Red Sea is so wide you can't see across it. That ocean parted and they walked through in dry ground. They saw Moses stand with his rod up in the air. They followed the pillar of cloud through the desert. Amazing. They made it three days out of Egypt. Pharaoh is no longer following them. They get three days out of Egypt and they come to a place called Mara. And when they get to Mara, they go to drink of the water at Mara, and the water is bitter. In other words, they try to take a drink and don't touch that stuff. And do you know what they do in that one moment? It reveals their hearts. In that one moment, here is, let's be honest, the first real trial of their lives. What do they do? They turn on Moses and they're ready to kill Moses. Now hang on a second. Who turned the river Nile into blood? God. Who made the death angel pass over where he did? God. Who parted the Red Sea? God. Who led the pillar of cloud? God. Who brought them to the waters at Mara? God. Now if you can grasp this, this will help you for the rest of this sermon. Grasp this. God brings us to hard times in our lives. And there's a reason. Because when they came to the waters at Mara, you know what happened? God went, here, let me show you how desperately wicked your heart is. And they complained. We go four verses. By the way, God tells Moses, just cut down a tree and throw it in the water. Water will be fine. That was not a magic tree. God just did another miracle. Gave them sweet water. Four verses later, you know what they're doing? Complaining. We're out of food. Moses, how come you brought us to this point in our lives so that you can bring us out here in the desert and kill us? You know what God's doing? Bring you to a hard point in your life. 
so that you can see how wicked your heart is. You realize that that's what's going on in our infirmities and sufferings when something goes wrong in your life. You know what's going on? God's doing this for your good. He's letting this bad thing happen in your life so that you can see, where does my heart go? And for the next 40 years, God fed them faithfully, day after day after day after day with manna. Now you're at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is rehearsing this for the nation. In case you guys have forgotten. Now I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 just so you know these two verses come in the middle of one big long sentence. I'm not going to read it right now. We'll come back to it at the end. I want you to see verses 15 and 16 right now. Look at verse 15. Moses talking to the people. Forty years and eleven months have passed. And now he says, Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness? He's speaking of God. Wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water. You know what he's doing? He's saying, hey, people of Israel, God's people, pay attention that God brought you to serpents and brought you to scorpions and He brought you to places where there was no water. By the way, He did that on purpose. He had a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He could have taken you around the serpents. He could have taken you around the scorpions. He could have taken you any way He wanted to, and yet He brought you to those hard places in your life. He continues on in verse 15. He brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not. Now get these words, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good thy latter end. God brought you to these bad places in your life so that you would ultimately get to see his goodness and He would prove you in this. He would humble you in this. He has a purpose. That's what He's talking about in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, you can put your piece of paper back in at Deuteronomy 8 and come back to Romans chapter 8 and you'll see this. The Apostle Paul is making this very same point. God uses those bad things in our lives. He brings them. He is the sovereign of the universe. He orchestrates all things. So when you fall off the roof of your house like I did three years ago, you smack your head on the sidewalk. You spend the next six months with a brain injury and massive headaches that you cannot explain to anyone. When you go through that, if you can root yourself in the sovereignty of God and know that it was God that brought me to this point, this is for my good and I may not understand it, but I know that He's working through this in some way and I might see His mighty hand now or I may not ever see it until I get home to be with Him in heaven. But one thing's for sure, this trial will not last forever and it is for my good. See Him again say it in Romans 8 and verse 28. We know, I hope you know, we know that all things work together for good. Them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And so I say it again this morning, God is at work in all things for your good. As I look through verses 28 to 39, I see three major portions. I'll just go ahead and give us the three. The first one is this. God will complete, number one, God will complete what He began in you. God will complete what He began in you. The promise of God, I'll read from verses 28 to 30. Let's read and watch together. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son that He, that's Christ, may be the firstborn among many brethren. For over whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Say it again. This verse 28, working together, is not some kind of cosmic working where at the end everything will just work out right. That's not what He's saying. He's saying God is actively at work in your life today. Believer, put your trust in the Lord Jesus. God is at work actively. He's working these things together for your good. 
There's a progression that happens through these verses. Look at verse 29. He'll use some words. Whom He did foreknow. That's long before the foundation of the world. He knew that you were going to be the one that He would work on. He foreknew you, so then He predestinated you. In verses 29's words, He predestinated you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Here's a theological word for that. Sanctification. Your sanctification. To look more like Jesus. I'll come back to that in just a second. Then in verse 30, He says that He calls those and then He justifies those. They put their trust in Him. He called you. If you're a believer this morning, you weren't even paying attention and His Holy Spirit was drawing you. He called you to Himself. And then He justified you. He declared you as righteous as Christ. By the way, I need His righteousness. I need to get rid of my sins. So Jesus took my sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So I trust Jesus. He takes my sin, puts my sin on Jesus. He gives Jesus' righteousness to me. That's justified. And then the end of verse 30, those He justified, He also glorifies. That's coming one day when we get to heaven, we'll be made like Christ completely. No more sin, sickness, or pain. But then notice in verse 29, He says, He called us, He predestinated us to be conformed to the image of His Son. What does He mean, conformed to the image of His Son? Well, think about how Jesus is. How does Jesus act? Well, His Son, God's Son, does not get mad at His boss when He gets corrected. That's in us. The way we are. We need to get that out. Jesus does not hold grudges. If I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus, something wrong happens to me that's exposing my heart, I get a chance to see, where do I need to work on? The Lord Jesus does not gossip about His friends. Christ does not lust after someone else. Jesus does not tell little lies just to make Himself look a little bit better. The Lord does not get bitter when someone else gets a promotion. These things don't happen with Jesus. If we're being conformed to His image, God's taken those things that are in our lives right now, pulling them out. I need that for my good. I need Him to be drawing that sin out of my life. We have a long way to go, don't we? A long way to go to be like Jesus. But I'm called to be like Him. There's two qualifiers in verse 28. Know that all things work together for good. Please don't think that that works for everyone. Two qualifiers there. Look at verse 28 closely. All things work together for good to, one, them that love God, two, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I'll say it again. God is actively at work taking bad things and using them for your good if you are a believer, been called purpose. Lost people, unbelievers, don't get that. How can a lost person be conformed to the image of Christ? Doesn't work. Doesn't happen. Paul adds in these qualifiers. Yes, God is working, and we know it, but this only works for those who are called according to His purpose. Love God. I might ask you, morning, are you called according to His purpose? If you are not a believer this morning, I might use Romans chapter 1's words, His goodness is drawing you to repentance. See, the goodness of God is drawing you to repentance. His long-suffering nature not putting a stamp of approval on your sin. No, He just hasn't wiped you out yet. So let Him draw you to repentance. So often when a bad thing happens in our lives, we want to ask this question. We want to ask, why? Am I right? You ever find yourself there? Something bad happens and I want to know why. 
Can I tell you this morning that I think that we often ask the wrong question? That's point number two. Sometimes we ask the wrong question. And in fact, he gives us several really good questions to ask. Those are found in verses 31 down to verse 37. Several questions here. I'll let you look at them as I read them. There are seven question marks, but I'll just tell you they boil down to four questions. So some of the questions are rhetorical. In other words, they are used to answer the question that was just asked. The four major questions, seven question marks. Let me read verses. I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just outline them as we go. We'll just do the first question, then the second, third, fourth. The first one, verses 31 and 32. Here's the question, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? You remember what the these things are, right? Those bad things. What do we say to these? So, so I think that the first question we could say, maybe rephrase it, would be like this. How should I think about this? These bad things come into my life. How should I think about this? I want to think, why did you put this in my life? I've not done anything wrong. Why did you put this in my life? And then if I go down that road, I'm going to end up blaming the character of God. But don't go there. But instead, a better question, as seen in verse 31, a better question is, how should I think about this? And he answers it with the rest of verses 31 and 32. Answers it, in fact, with two questions. Here we go, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hear those words, all things. It's all the bad things that are going on in life. How should I think about this? We'll start by verse 31, thinking about the fact that God is for us. So as I think, let this soak in, brothers and sisters. When I think about, I have a bad thing going on in my life, how should I think about this? Foundationally, think about this. God is for me. This is not Him coming to smite me and knock me down. Can I remind you that His love for you does not fluctuate? There are not times when God looks upon you and says, oh, you've been a good boy or you've been a good girl, so I love you more right now. And then there's other times when He loves you less because you've been sinful and you've gone back to your sinful nature. He does not fluctuate in His love. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. He is always abounding in love. In fact, if you want some help with that, Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, enemies against God, Christ died for us. That's how much He loved us. He gave us the hardest thing there ever was in the universe. He put His Son on the cross. So foundationally, how should I think about this? When I see that a wrong is done in this life, and I feel the pain of it. How should I think about this? Foundationally, God is for me. So if God is for me, this is for my good. I look across our congregation, brothers and sisters, I know there are those of you carrying pain that nobody else knows about. And some of you have shared with me on the surface and I know that you're carrying pain and you're wondering why. Can I help you rephrase? Stop wondering why. Don't undermine the fact that He is for you. He's brought this for your good. And if He has put His Son on the cross, verse 32, how shall He not with give us all things? And I'll add in to all. He's been talking about a lot of bad things. But there's coming a day when there will be glorification as well. As we saw last week in verse 18, for I reckon, I believe, I want to conclude that passage, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's how you think about this. He's for me. That's how you think about it. Then verse 33 gives us another question. I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase the question. 
Something like this. Have I fallen from His favor? Is that why I have this suffering? Have I fallen from His favor? Another way to ask it, does this suffering mean that I've fallen from God's favor? See Him ask it in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elects? Answer, is God that justifies. So when God declares you righteous, He doesn't come back later and go, well, actually what I meant was He was righteous today, but tomorrow maybe not. That's not how God works. He's for you. Foundationally, He's for you. And He does not change His mind. So no, you don't fall from His favor. Now remember, Hebrews 8 does say that if you're His son, you fall off into sin, He will chasten you. So if you find yourself in a moment of chastening, check your heart. Have I been sinful? Have I done something wrong? Lord, I want to make that right with you. And I know. I confess my sin. He is faithful and just to forgive me of sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There's no need to wallow there. He makes it right. He carries on. He does not up and down with you. He justified. And when we say justified, it's finished. There's no changing justified. Third question. Verse 34. I'll give you the question. Something like this. Is Satan getting the better of me? That's the question. Is Satan getting the better of me? See it in verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Well, if you look through Scripture, you'll know who it is that is the accuser of the brethren. But Satan. Satan's doing his absolute best to accuse you before God. We'll see that in just a moment. And here's the question. Perhaps if I'm having this suffering, and guys, that suffering can be across many spectrums. Illness. Accusations from neighbors, loss of employment, mental, physical. I'm going through these things. There's many different bad things in this life. I'm going through that. Does that mean that Satan's winning? And he's going to answer the question. See it there in verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Answer, it is Christ that died. So you're getting ready to put yourself back, not in Christ. Satan's category, but go back to Christ's category. Because He's for you. He died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I see Jesus, four things He's done to secure you in Christ. He died, He rose again, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's actively interceding on your behalf. I don't know if you remember this from 1 John chapter 2. This is right after 1 John 1, 8, 9, 2, 1. I hope that means something to you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. But if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then He follows on hard with this. 1 John chapter 2, and verse number 1, He makes this statement, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the righteous, and notice the word that is used. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is our propitiation. You know what that word propitiation meant, right? It's the gift turns away wrath. Jesus is our propitiation. So get this picture. The wrath of God abides upon sin. The accuser of the brethren, Satan himself, as it were, comes into the throne room of God, and we have an advocate, an attorney named Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. And that advocate, Jesus, sits there next to the Father, and when the accuser of the brethren says, hey, have you seen Pastor Matt did some sin this week? The advocate of the Father says, hang on a second, I am the propitiation. I am the gift. I went to the cross and I took His sin and I'm turning away your wrath. Can I remind you that He is for us. So when bad things come along, don't think Satan's getting the better. No, that's not the way we think about this. Then we get another question. Verses 35 to 37 that might help us to think properly. 
37's question, verse 35's question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There he sits at the right hand of the Father, our advocate, having taken our sin and turned away the wrath of God. Jesus, our advocate before the Father, turning away the accusations of the brethren, of, of the wicked one. Brothers and sisters, know that Jesus is our advocate and He loves us. The question continues in verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword, will these things separate us from the love of God? And the word is no. Now look at verse 36 real quickly. As it is written, Here's a quote that goes back to the book of Psalms. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughterer. He lists off seven terrible things. I think they would probably be the worst things imaginable. What about tribulation? Somebody's persecuting you. Doing wrong to you. Distressed. I'm terrified and I don't know what to do about it. Famine. Do you realize that famine happens to Christians too? Going hungry. No food. Nakedness. Remember, our Lord Himself hung on the cross and they stripped every bit of clothing from Him. What about peril? The world is falling apart around me. I've mentioned it already the last few weeks, but could you imagine being Ukrainian right now? That's peril. Ten million without home. Peril. And some of those are believed. They're Christians. Going through this. God's allowing it for their good. The sword. The last of those seven that's listed. And you know what the sword means? Death. Is it possible that one of these things can separate me from the love of Christ? Is it possible? And then that quote from Psalm 44, verse 22, this quote, we are led as sheep to the slaughter. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a terrifying thought. David wrote Psalm 44. And I don't know where his heart was. I spent time in meditation in Psalm 44 this week. I tried to figure out, David, where are you coming from and where are you going? What time of your life was this? I could not come up with a good answer. But here, let me just give you an overview of Psalm 44. The first eight verses, he says things, he's talking to God, and he says things like, our fathers knew the goodness of God, but I've yet to experience. Somebody speaking from a heart of trouble. And he comes through the chapter 44, and he comes down through the chapter, and he talks about all of the bad things that are going on in his life. He's very discouraged. I'll read for you. This is Psalm 44, verse 20. We've forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God. Shall not God search this out? In other words, God, we've not turned our backs on You. This is not because we sinned and then You brought punishment. That's not what happened here. Verse 21, he continues, For He that knows the secrets of the heart. Shall not God search this out? He knows those secrets. God, you can check my heart. You know. And then he makes that statement that gets repeated here in Romans 8. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. David is literally saying something like, I don't know what's going on right now. I didn't do anything wrong, but I feel like I'm being slaughtered. I look across our auditorium this morning, I can only imagine as you're sitting and you're hearing, God's at work in all things for my good. How is this? Can I remind you that nothing, not even those bad things, separates you from the love of Christ? And yet you might be thinking, I've been counted as a sheep water. Think with me for a moment about Job. Remember Job? Satan came before God and accused Job. And he said this, he said, Job only follows you because you give him good things. And God said, okay, check him out. Take the good things from him. You realize that in that moment, 
God is going to receive glory. Job is going to receive pain. And ultimately, it will be for Job's good. At the beginning, he doesn't see it, and he doesn't understand. He loses everything he has. Satan does the work God permits. In your life, Satan would love to destroy, and God allows it. You know, he works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What shall we say to these things? God be for us, be against us. Job sat there in his sackcloth and ashes with broken pieces of pottery to scrape his sores that were oozing, infected. And four of his friends came and sat down with him. And you know what those four friends said? For the entire book of Job, they accused him. Job, you're a sinner. That's why this is happening. Job, you've probably got some kind of sin way down in your heart, and that's why this is happening, because good things only happen to good people, and bad things only happen to bad people. Wrong! Job was upright and hated wicked. And yet God let bad things happen in Job's life. There he sat, Job chapter 12 and chapter 13. Job, I think he pours out some of the funniest things I've ever read in the whole Bible. He gets so angry at those four friends. One of them, he calls them, you guys are miserable comforters. It is wonderful word. Another time he says, Job chapter 12 and verse 1, he makes this statement. He says, behold, thou art the men, and wisdom will die with thee. In other words, all of the whole wisdom and all the world is wrapped up in you guys, and when you die, the whole world will never have any wisdom again. Perfect way to say it. I could come up with a better way. And he walks through and he says, guys, I have not done wrong. I've done right. And I don't understand why God has done this, but I do know that He is for me. He makes this statement in Job chapter 13 and verse 15. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. And I think that sometimes you and I as Christians in our immaturity, we'll focus on the first half of that statement, and we'll say, though He slay me? And we think, oh, that's a terrifying thought, that, oh, God might slay me. He might let the sword get me. Guys, that's the ultimate end. And if He does, think about it this way, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What better gift than to be sent to be with Jesus forever? Though He slay me, it does not matter what terrible, bad thing might happen in this life. I know He is for me. I know that nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. And I will trust Him. So when you find the bad things going on in your life, know that He's at work. And know that He's doing it for your good. And all of them. You can trust Him. When you can't see where His face is looking, you can trust His heart. For He is good at His core. That is who He is. It's always good. So look with me again here at verse number 37. Nay, He answers the question, Nay, in all these things, in all the bad things, seven bad things he's listed, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So, what can separate us from his love? Answer, nothing. Zero. Seven of the worst things you've ever thought about in your whole life, none of them can separate me from the love of Christ. But in them, he makes us to be more than conquerors. Now, Christian, I hope that you look at words in the Bible and that you think about, what does this mean? So let me help you with this. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I heard a preacher explain it like this, and I think it's so helpful. You know what a conqueror is, right? A conqueror, you go into battle, and when you're in battle, you fight the enemy, and you slay the enemy, and the enemy lays down dead. That's a conqueror. 
know what a more than conqueror is? A more than conqueror is when you go into battle and you slay the enemy, and then the enemy gets back up and serves you. That's more than a conqueror. God's taken these seven terrible, worst things imaginable, and He's using them, making them get up and serve you. You are in your Christian life, and I'm doing right, and God brings along this bad, and in this bad, He makes me more than a conqueror? This bad thing is turned and made for my good. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And it's not just me innately because I'm so special. Oh, it's because Christ loves us. Come into the last two verses. Not just about why, it's about how. And how will God work this for my good? So, last two verses. Third thing that if I outline these passage, or three was this. Nothing will stop God's love from doing His glorifying work. Take a lot of those words from verses 38 and 39. Nothing will stop God's love from doing His glorifying work. Read verses 38 and 39. Verse 38, For I am persuaded. In other words, that's the conclusion. Here you go. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So he just previously listed seven things that perhaps would be the most terrifying things you could think of, and now he just topped it up with ten things that you don't even think of. Height and depth, and principalities and powers. And can I just speak a moment of truth for you and I that are believers? principalities and powers. That is Satan's spiritual forces. They do not hold sway over you if you are a believer. Let it sink in. Chew on that after the sermon. It's not for this one. Nothing will separate us. Not powers, not present problems. No height or depth. Go as far as heaven and go down into hell. You'll never find anything that can separate you from God's love. No other creature. In case there's something that he hasn't listed, he just goes just one more thing because all things were created by him. So any creature, nothing can ever separate us. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, made a statement like this. It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. The most crushing calamity can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is not ill, but only good in a different form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death, gain. See that in all these things makes us poor conquerors. Every bad thing, instrument, good in the hand of God. I told you that we would finish with the book of Deuteronomy. So come back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I told you that verses 15 and 16 were two verses in the middle of one long sentence. I want to read that one long sentence. In conclusion, I want you to see how these two verses fit in the middle of a bigger thought. Remember Moses' dying days. It's been 40 years, almost 41 years now, since they saw the miraculous escape, the exodus out of Egypt. And now, Moses says to them, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, Beware. Thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes which I command thee. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, silver and thy gold is multiplied, all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. Now forget the Lord thy God, brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, led thee that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, where there was no water, brought thee forth out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness, manna, 
Thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee, might prove thee to do thee good in thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power, might of mine hand, hath gotten me. Why God allow bad things in our lives? Why? Sometimes when all we have is we begin to forget God. We begin to think, oh look, I've made myself this way. Oh no. He says, I give you bad things too, and if for no other reason it causes you to lean back on me, I will hold you, I will sustain you, and my love will not be separated from you. Oh, He cares for us enough even to not let our lives be lives of For lives of ease make us to sit back, indulge upon our own lusts, get God. I think of the words again of Charles Spurgeon. He made this statement. I've said it before. I've learned, he said, I learned kiss the wave crashes me against the rock of age. Hear those words. I've learned to kiss the wave crashes me against the rock of age. Not about the wave. About the rock where I will find firm footing for my feet. I will find no other firm footing than in Christ. And if this tribulation tosses me against that rock, oh, thank you, God, for the wave. It's the wave. Thank God for those tribulations that come in our lives. In church, you may trust Him. For when the bad things come, pause them. Father, thank you for the bad things that come in our lives. Nothing will separate us from you. of the brethren, Satan himself is unable to draw us out of the hand of God. Possible. But when those waves come, those terrible things happen, Lord, I pray that we not look upon ourselves, or look at you some way accusing you of not being good at your core. Instead, Lord, we would learn to trust you. Root out those parts that may we learn to trust you. Thank you. Know that we've not been saved. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service.